one of my favorite things to do is it's like whatever you want whatever you need we can we can make it work i love it that's the voice of brian wildman owner of wildman design co and i'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor hey everyone what do you know about shaper tools specifically the shaper origin as a listener to this show you can try a shaper origin risk-free for 30 days in your own shop that's right in your own shop just by visiting shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand to learn more the handheld cnc router that has brought digital precision and efficiency of workflow to so many people is yours to try risk-free use it to tackle your joinery your cabinetry your hardware installations and more with speed precision and the reliability your business needs if you want to learn more or to give it a risk-free 30-day try just visit shapertools.com forward slash furniture brand or check the link in the show notes and now on with the episode hello and welcome to building a furniture brand with ethan abramson the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Brian Wildman, owner of the San Diego, California-based furniture company, Wildman Design Co. As you will hear, Brian had been dipping his toe in the furniture industry for much of his adult life. He always had that drive to have his own furniture company, but he needed to put all the pieces in place before he made the jump. Being a part of the industry for so long, he learned and understood what he wanted his company to look like before he made the move. But as anyone who has started their own business knows, looking from the outside is much different than being in the thick of it. So Brian continued to learn and evolve and grow his company into the success that it is today. Follow along as we talk about learning on the job, communicating with customers, local marketing on social media, and much more. So let's jump in and hear Brian's story in his own words. I guess growing up as a kid, uh, me and my buddies were always outside building forts, making stuff out of wood. I had a buddy that lived in the canyon, so we were always over there making stuff. Uh, But the woodworking journey, I would say, started in freshman year of high school. Um, I had a wood shop every year of high school. My senior year, I had woodshop three periods out of the six. <laughs> um, so the my fifth and sixth period was kind of a specialty class. It was an ROP class. And um, you kind of learn about businesses. We went on field trips to different businesses to see how they work and run kind of manufacturing stuff like that. But most of the time it was, it was in the shop woodworking. I would say about 10% of the time we were out doing field trips like that. Um, so that's when it, it kind of started. And then uh, I went to college for construction management and I, I didn't have a spot to have, a, I guess, a shop or something like that. So I had a few tools at my parents' house and was kind of making the, you know, making little things. And then after college, uh, one of my dad's friend had a custom cabinet shop and we went in there one day and uh, my dad introduced me to him and tried to get a job and I got a job um, and I pretty much just started out sweeping the floors and worked my way up uh, to making cabinets. I did a little bit of purchasing and did a little bit of drawing on CAD. I operated the CNC machine um, and I think that's where I guess the spark started. 
um, to where I'm like, man, I wish I could do this as like my real, you know, have my own company, make my own stuff, you know, and sell it, sell it to people. That's where the spark started. Um, uh, it was in that custom cabinet shop for about a little over, I think three years. Um, you know, wasn't making a ton of money and stuff like that and needed to start having, I guess you would say a typical career. And so then that's when I switched to project management. Um, and I was in project management for, Oh, 13 plus years doing commercial projects, billion dollar projects, um, working on the San Diego airport here, um, big hospital projects, stuff like that. But after doing that for a long time, you just get burned out. It takes a lot out of you. Um, you wake up at two, three o'clock in the morning and be like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. Don't forget to do this. I'm worried about that. How come hopefully this material shows up. So that's when I was like, I need to figure out how to get to where I wanted to be, which was making custom furniture, custom pieces and selling them. And so that's kind of when I started doing the Etsy, I was like, Oh, maybe I could try to do YouTube. But in the end, I think I, I, I at that point I needed to decide because I was doing YouTube and having a full-time job and then Etsy as well. And at that time I was making more money on Etsy. So I kind of pushed YouTube to the side focused on Etsy a little bit, kind of started a business with my cousin. It didn't work out. Um, nothing against him, nothing against me, just wasn't going to work out. And then that's when I was kind of game planning on how I can make this work. Um, you know, talking with my wife, I have a family that I you know, need to support and provide for. Um, I ended up taking like doing a part-time job of doing home inspections and then doing um, my custom woodworking on the side of that as well. So working on both of those at the time. And then I got to a point where I was getting enough clients, getting enough work to where I could quit the home inspections and then do this full time. And I, um, that's when I went full time uh, having my own furniture business and I've been doing it ever since. I like that you said when you were doing your project management and you'd wake up in the morning and you'd be stressed as is stuff going to come in? Are materials going to come in on time? Are people going to arrive on time? Is the design going to be ready? And you were so stressed about that. And in your mind, the escape from that was to have your own woodworking company. Because a lot of people think that having their own company is a stressful thing. But for you, those stresses were different. Those stresses were enjoyable. They were something that you wanted to take on. Why do you think that the stress of working for yourself, for lack of a better word, wasn't as stressful as the stress of working for another job, working for that job that you were doing? Because I'm in control. I control what is going on. If I need to drive, 45 minutes to go get a, some material, I'll do it to whereas in my project management days, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of variables, a lot of things that are out of my control. You call up a cabinet shop and be like, Hey, where are my cabinets? Well, um, you know, it's like, well, just give me an answer. Like, where are they? It's a lot of kind of babysitting and calling people up. Like, you know, like I said, where are my cabinets? Oh, well, we had machine breakdown. I was like, really? Did you really have a machine breakdown? Or is that just an excuse? So, 
a lot of it is having your, when you're having your own business, you're in control and like, and it's a lot more, oh, I'll say it's not a lot more easier. It's just, I like being in control of my stuff. You were exposed to the, the woodworking, the furniture industry from a pretty young age. When you were in high school, you were taking those woodshop classes and you were going to different companies and you were seeing different shops and the way they were run. And then throughout the years, as you got older, you had interactions with shops, whether it was through your job or through friends and family. You kept having interactions with wood shops and that idea of your own company was building. It was building slowly and maybe you didn't have a, a concrete image of what it was going to look like, but I'm sure you were putting the pieces in place. You were you were setting the stage for eventually going out on your own. What what are some of the things that you did physically did or mentally did to prepare yourself over the years before you went full time on your own? When you were when you were looking at all these shops and going to all these shops and taking in all these experiences but you hadn't yet made that jump to go full time. You take something away every day. It could be the littlest things or the biggest, you know, things on how, you know, you watch you you watch your boss and see how he does his things. Uh, you kind of um, some of the the journeymen in the shop. You you you're always asking them questions on how things go together. Um, so it, it's the business side of it. It's the learning, uh, the skill side of it. I think each day you, you take away something. You're always, I'm always, even today, I'm always learning something new about the business or or a technique or a joinery technique or something like that. We've already talked about how you've really grown up understanding the industry and in the industry, even though you weren't always a part of it, you kept dipping your toe in at different parts. With that, with working for a company, with talking to companies and managing companies that were delivering things, you had that behind the scenes view of how a furniture company is run. And on top of that, because you were working for a company and because you were managing people, you got a real sense of the pricing and the amount that they were charging and the budgets and how everything goes together at the end. When you started your own company, you kind of had a leg up on pricing and you had a little bit of an inside look. So when you did start your company, where was your pricing at? And then as your company grew, how did that pricing change? Uh, the old pricing question. It So when I started out, my pricing was very low because as you're a new company, you're worried about having a backlog of projects. So you're trying to price it so that hopefully you would get the job and have have work lined up down the road. Um, but I think in the end, it came to bite me a little bit in the butt because I was doing, I would think, quality work for a pretty darn good price. But doing this, I've learned that people are willing to pay good money for good quality work. And so kind of switched my pricing and then priced what, what I think I'm worth 
but it it was definitely a hard lesson to learn because you're always afraid of of not getting that job and then and then you kind of go you're like oh once if i don't you know if i don't get this job then i'm going to be out of work and then i'm going to have to go back and get a 9 to 5 type of job so uh, i was definitely definitely a hard hard learning experience but it's all part of it it's all part of the learning process i hear this from a lot of people i talk to who are starting or a few years into their company and they they start out before they make their first sale before they have their first customer they start out thinking this is where my pricing should be and then once they jump into the real world they jump into that client interaction where the client says my budget's this or you give a price and the client pushes back and says oh i was thinking half of that and then you're in that dilemma where do you stand up for yourself do you say i can't do that for that price or since you're starting out do you take that price and get that job and just cover your basics but you build your portfolio it's a it's an interesting and hard dance at the beginning and something that you know you you experienced what was that what was that turning point for you when you decided I'm not just going to bow to what I think the customer is asking for a price. I'm going to really set my own prices and understand that it's my company and I need to stick to that. Um, it's kind of a funny answer, but um, it was probably a conversation with my tax person. <laughs> um, and and we're friends and uh, she said and she said Brian you just need to start charging more you're worth a lot more um obviously because she saw all the numbers she said you're worth a lot more than this i got to make make the switch and start and if 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 people i think another thing of it is i don't think people realize how how expensive things are and how much things actually cost so i think if you break it down and tell them they get a little bit more understanding. Um, luckily, I, I haven't had too many situations where I, I've had a, people push back on my price. There's been a few, and uh, on those jobs, I just said, all right, I, I can't do it for that much. But most of the time, people understand and are willing to pay pay for good work. Because this show is really about you, about the furniture maker, about the person that I'm interviewing I I want to go a little bit deeper into that and I want to ask you if you're okay with it what your what your mindset was and how and what you were thinking after you talked with your accountant your tax person and had that experience where they they told you that you needed to charge more the next client after that what was going through your head when you priced that out and you said okay I'm going to start charging more and writing that email or making that call and making up that invoice and sending it because when we're talking about the numbers and we're talking about pricing and and percentages and things like that a lot of people forget that there's also a person behind that a person with emotions and it's not always easy just to make that switch 
there's emotions in it. So can you walk me through that first time if you if you remember it or the first couple times and how you felt about sort of that breath of fresh air to be able to charge what you think you're worth? Oh, I still get nervous to this day after sending out a quote, but definitely the first first couple times I can remember, it's just, it's nerve wracking. You see, you know, I usually send my stuff out, uh, my quotes, you know, kind of first thing in the morning. And so then after that, you're checking your email every five, 10 minutes to see if they respond. And, you know, some people aren't glued to their phone or their email as other people are. So it's nervous. Like, all right. And then it's like, oh, shoot. Did I, you know, is it too much to have every, you know, by the time the evening comes, you're like, oh, I haven't heard a response back. You know, then all these mind games start going on in your head. It's like, oh, maybe I did charge too much or, but it's just part of the business. It's, I think, I don't know if you'll ever get used to it, but a little bit of, of it is confidence and you just got to have confidence in your work. Like, <laughs> it's nerves. It's, it's the nerves of, of running your own business. And you said that you like that. You like being in control. You like having it all on you so yes it's stressful but it also must have been a relief to start charging what you're worth and to get clients coming back and and agreeing with you because a client saying yes is a justification that you're doing things right obviously yes there's also (laughs) yes there's also that part where all the clients are saying yes, and it's because you're charging too little. But I think that in the back of your mind, you know that you're charging too little. If everybody's saying yes, you know that you're charging too little and you see your own numbers. So you know that you're charging too little. But when you feel like you're charging enough and the client's saying yes, that's that's a big justification that you're doing something right in your business. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's 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 definitely uh, uh, rewarding once you get to that point. We've been talking about your customers kind of in the abstract as just uh, an email address on the other end of an email or a voice on the other end of the phone, but customer service is really important to you, and you take it a step beyond that. Not only customer service in general, but specifically you know your market your big selling point for your custom work is that the homes in your area are a little bit off they have odd angles they have nooks that that don't really fit standard furniture and that idea of you bringing client satisfaction and custom work together is really what you've been banking on and really what you started your company on can you talk about how you you recognize that problem in the market that you could be the solution for oh i probably recognized it a long time ago i think i would say 85 90 percent of my clients come to me with a problem and the problem is, is that they have a weird dimension in their house and they can't find anything at the big box stores to fit that and then that's where I come into play is we can make it custom. We can make it whatever you want in that spot. We can make, if you need six drawers, we'll make six drawers fit. If you want four drawers and two doors and it, they're all 28 and five sixteenths, we can make it work. 
Because the problem is with the big box stores, everything is, you know, 30, 24, 36, 48, maybe 60. And there's no, no wiggle room. So then that's where I come into play is that custom build on those custom weird shapes, sizes. It's definitely been a huge part of my business. And you play that hard up. You're playing to your strengths because people can say, I make custom furniture. And that can mean we can make any type of table you want. We can make any type of chair we want. We can make any kind of built-in that you want. But you take it that step further and recognize that custom for your clients, for the people in your area, means not just any type of style. It's any type of dimension. Homeowners don't always think that they can get custom stuff. They don't, their mind doesn't go to that because they're not furniture makers. So how have you been playing that up with customers? How do you advertise that that is your niche in the market, that it's custom, but it's custom for your home, not just for your style? Oh, I, I play it up a lot. Uh, I guess one of my favorite things is when, you know, that first initial client meeting and the client has you over to their house and kind of shows you the area or the space. And they're like, here's a space. And this is a, kind of what we want. I always tell them whatever you want, we can do. I mean, it's, and it depending on you know, a lot of times it's storage. They always want more storage. I'm like, well, do you want drawers or do you want doors? Um, do you want big drawers, little drawers? I, I play, it's one of my favorite things to do is it's like, whatever you want, whatever you need, we can, we can make it work. I love it. Okay. So you've sat down with the homeowners, you've talked to them, you've seen their space. They've said, we want X in this corner. We want this many drawers. We want this many doors. We want this, this, this. And you say, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to do custom work. I'm going to make it happen for you. What are the next steps for you? What What does that design process look like? And how do you go about showing to these homeowners who don't have the vision what their piece is going to look like so they can say, yes, that's what I want. And you can get your deposit and go from there. Um, for my design, I use Shaper 3D on the iPad. Um, it's it's an awesome program. It's like SketchUp, but it's on an iPad, which is a... I switched probably about a year into my business. I switched because I used to carry around a portfolio, you know, a, a zip-up binder with paper in it. And it was I always hated you know dealing with the papers or anything. So I switched to an iPad. Everything is on an iPad. Um, all my notes and everything, but with the iPad, it's, a, it's nice because it's a lot smaller than a laptop. And um, the Shaper 3D program, um, you can just they show them right there on the app. After the initial meeting, I go back and do a design. And then either I shoot them images of the design or I have another follow-up meeting with them, go over the design. And it's nice because you could make the changes right there on the iPad, right in front of them. Details, questions answered, all worked out right there. It's uh, definitely been a huge game changer for me. The follow-up question for this, when you're doing the design and you're making client happy and you're changing things and you go down 
a path with this design and with making changes and you look up and you realize a lot of hours have gone by. And the question is, are you getting paid for those hours? How are you structuring your deposits? How are you structuring your client invoices? When does the client start paying for your time? And how do you make sure you do get paid for your time? I do charge a design. I call it, I guess you call it a design fee. Um, I do charge. It depends because a lot of the times um, I do have clients that already have like their kitchen has been remodeled and everything has been, you know, all the cabinets and everything been done, but it's either some like shelving or something kind of special that the designer came up with that they had designed their kitchen and they already, so it's nice. They already have the design. So I'm just kind of copying whatever the designer had. The other percentage of that is, you know, me coming up with the design. Um, and like I said, I do charge them a design fee. And then I do charge 50% upfront for the deposit of the order. Do you collect 50% end payment at the end of the project after things are dropped off or before things are dropped off? Uh, so, yeah, I collect the 50% at the beginning of the project after they sign the quote. Um, and then the other 50% is collected at the end of the project. When everything is done, the client has a smile on their face and they are happy. You mentioned designers and working with interior designers. How much of your business is direct client to client and how much of it is working through designers who are the go-between between you and the client? Yeah, I would say 15 to 20% of of my work is kind of with a designer or through a designer or a designer has provided sketches or drawings. And then the rest of that is, is me working directly with a client or homeowner. We've talked about the design process. We've talked about the initial payment. We've talked about the end payment when everybody's happy and smiling and there's high fives and Everybody says, this was a great experience. I'm so happy we did it. We haven't talked about the in-between part, the building part, how you go about setting up a project that you need to get built and how you actually build it and how you stay to your timelines. Because you mentioned you're very, very busy and you're getting more and more busy. But just because you're busy doesn't mean the projects go any faster, doesn't mean things get built faster. You still need to build them to the quality that got you to the place you are with your growth. Let's talk about your actual building process from when you get the designs and you know what you're building to when it leaves the door. How are you how are you scheduling? How are you focusing? How are you doing that part of the business? I usually do one project at a time. Um, I try to, every once in a while, I might squeeze in a little project just depending on what it is. But for me, I, I, I'm always afraid if I have multiple projects going on that getting measurements mixed up or little details mixed up and then it just will cost you more time in the end. So it's usually one project at a time. There are a lot of companies, small and big companies that build furniture but they also have a second side part of their business or a 
maybe not even a side, maybe a collaborative part of their business where they're making small things as well. They're making the big furniture items, but they're also making home goods and smaller items. And you do that as well. Your Etsy store, your small items kind of even started before the actual furniture company started. As somebody who doesn't like to have multiple projects going on at the same time, how do you balance the big projects, the furniture projects with all the little sales that come in? Because those can add up. Those are things that don't have long lead times. People buy them and they expect them to be sent out the door. How are you balancing both of those businesses at the same time? Well, with the Etsy store, um, a lot of the items I've I've made a lot, um, so it's it's nothing new. So there's not a lot of figuring out how to make it type of thing. Um, so I could a lot of the times I, if I am working on a big client project and I have an Etsy order or two or three come in, um, I kind of have those kind of pushed off to the side, and you know I could get something clamped up and then go back and work on the large project and kind of work back and forth. Um, like I said, I've, I've done them so many times. It's kind of like, it's easy. Um, but during the holidays, it gets crazy. And um, I've learned my lesson um, a couple of times uh, doing that to where when we get towards that season, I kind of, uh, my client projects, I allow a little bit more time and I let my client know, uh, you know, I, I do have an Etsy store and you know, the holidays are coming up. And so your project might take a little bit longer, um, but I'll definitely communicate that with you if if it gets crazy with the uh, Etsy sales or not. Communication is definitely key with, with running those two businesses when we get to that time of the season. You said learning your lesson, and there's a lot of things in the furniture business that people can learn their lessons from. And one of those things that... I've noticed talking to people who have smaller companies that they continuously get burned on. And I'm going to ask you about going back to the furniture business. When you're doing custom work and you can design anything and you get caught up in that idea of, I love building things and the client wants something and I'm going to build it and you design it. Sometimes you design projects that are too big too big for you to install as a a small team. Sometimes that gets a little bit too much and it either takes way longer than you budgeted for or things go wrong because you're just not set up for that. Have you had any big projects like that, that your, your design kind of got away from you and you had to figure out how you were going to install them? (laughs) <laughs> yes, the current project that I'm working on now, it's a um, client has a, uh, I guess you call maybe a seven foot by seven foot corner of their living room slash dining room area. And they want a bar built in there. So it's going to, it's consisting of five cabinets, a pony wall. And then I'm gonna, on that pony wall, I'm going to hang a a big, beautiful slab of white oak burl on it. Um, and I've told myself a couple times now that this might be a little too big because it's in a condo 
10 stories up. So you got to deal with the elevator and everything. But I have turned down in the past. I have turned down um, quite a few jobs just because they are, so it's just me by myself, turned down quite a few jobs because they are just too big. And I don't think, you know, safety wise, um, I wouldn't be able to either move it or install it or I, I just couldn't. I only have two hands, so I can't, you know, hold five things at once to get it all put together. Do you think about expanding your team? Maybe not a full-time worker, but a part-time worker or getting an install crew or or something like that? Are those ideas that you've been thinking about as your business grows? Uh, yes, um, but I like working by myself. <laughs> Goes back to that thing where I'm in control kind of, of everything that is going on. I, even though I have thought about having a install crew, but I haven't gotten... I haven't dug too deep into it yet, but thankfully at that point where I could kind of pick and choose my projects. Clients and getting clients is all about marketing. It's all about getting your name out there. And as you grow, you want to get your name out there more and more to grow bigger and bigger. And it can't be denied that social media and for you, it's Instagram is a big part of marketing nowadays it's it's probably one of the biggest ways businesses have been getting their name out there over the past couple years you've done really well on instagram and you've gotten a lot of work from instagram social media can be a little bit confusing though for people who are trying to market their business you are a local based custom business so you're doing work for people in your area but when you put something on social media you don't know if the person next door is going to see it or a person all the way across the world is going to see it but you found a way to market on instagram which is a global thing but market to your local area how have you gone about doing that and how has it been working for you one of the things that i learned um was the hashtags uh, when I was making my posts. Um, and I found out that, oh, here's a little inside tip, <laughs> that if you put, because I'm in San Diego, so I would I would put San Diego Woodworking or San Diego Woodworker. Um, and when people reach out to me through Instagram, I always kind of, am I, hey, can I ask you a question? How did you find me? Most of the time, people have said, oh, I just typed in hashtag San Diego Woodworking or San Diego Woodworker. And so I always, since then, I've always kind of put that in my post as my boost for a little bit of marketing. Is all your marketing on Instagram? Is that where you get pretty much all of your business from? I would say a good chunk of it is through Instagram. I was maybe 50-50. And then the other 50% is through either repeat clients or word of mouth. Uh, friends and family or a client told their friends or family. So that's, that's been a big, big help is kind of word of mouth. And um, my work speaks for itself, hopefully. <laughs> Your work does speak for itself. And with something like Instagram, where it's a portfolio of your work, that's what people are seeing. They're not seeing your pricing. They're not seeing your customer service. They're seeing your work. So your work does speak for itself. And that's how you built your company with 
your work with the quality of your work, putting out the quality of work that you do. And then once people get in the door, then you show them that you are a business that is very client focused, that is very schedule focused, that is somebody who communicates and is going to really give the client that experience that they want, that they're paying for it, that they expect or that they didn't even know they expected and you exceed their expectations. So yes, your work does speak for itself on all of those levels. There are people out there who want to have a furniture company. Maybe they're like you where they started when they were young and they've been looking at this industry, but haven't taken that jump in to make their own company. Or there's people who just came to furniture making, maybe through social media, maybe seeing that, and they think, I want to start my own furniture company. And then there's people on the other end of that who have been doing this for a long time. They've started their company. They've been doing this, but they're not getting the returns from their business that they need to feel successful. What's some advice that you could share from your experience in the industry how you view it and and what things you're doing to continue to push your business forward. The advice I would give to people is probably just do it. I you know, I don't I didn't want to have that regret later on down the road being man, man I wish I would have at that point in time, I wish I would at least just tried. Um, and then but then there's always a kind of a plan B to that is that you kind of have to have a little bit of a backup plan, maybe have some money saved up. Maybe kind of do maybe what I did and have a, maybe a part-time job. So that way, at least you have some money coming in um, and then hopefully build up that clientele and then can go full-time from there. But I would, I would say just try it. Um, I know it, hopefully you got your family support and everything, but don't, don't have that regret down the road that, oh man, I wish I, I, wish I would have tried it. Do you do you really feel that? Do you really feel like you you would have if you didn't if you didn't do this, if you didn't start your own company, do you f- really feel like you would have regretted not not doing this as, you know, a full-time job? Do you think that you'd be just as content doing it as just as a hobby for friends and family? Or do you really feel like you had that desire and that need to go full time? Um, yeah, I felt like I needed to start my own business because I didn't like what I was doing in the nine, my nine to five job. It was, it was too stressful. And I always had a, a passion for, I've always had a passion for woodworking and building things. And it's something that I, I wake up excited to go to work and I am excited to do this, even if I have to work on the weekends or even if I have to work on night, it doesn't bother me. I enjoy what I do. I really thank you for for sharing that passion that you have for the furniture business with everybody listening. It's It's great to hear somebody who loves what they're doing and wants to keep doing it. So I want to thank you for for sharing that passion and for sitting down and sharing your knowledge of the industry. Thank you. And I wish you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Thank you. I appreciate it. And it was fun uh, sharing my experiences with you. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. 
To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.